You're going to love this. Just love it. Yes, I do. I got the feeling that something <laughs> right. Not in Virginia. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. <laughs> and I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with yes, you. Yes, I am stuck in the middle with you once again. Live on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices channel, on TuneIn, and on Netroots Radio, and... Liberal Justice Radio. You can run, but you can't hide. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, and this is your Bradcast. Glad you could join us this afternoon, and I'm, uh, I'm not kidding here. As I look at these results from... As I'm looking, it's amazing. Uh, At the results from yesterday's election in Virginia, the attorney general's race, the only outstanding race uh, left there. Uh, Let me see if I have these numbers right. Yeah, I think I do. Uh, There are currently out of 2.2 million votes cast in that election yesterday in Virginia, the old dominion, 32 votes now separate the Republican Mark Obenshane from the Democrat Mark Herring. I will be talking a little bit about that uh, later in this uh, in this broadcast <laughs> because much of the state there's likely going to be a, a a recount, a quote unquote recount in Virginia on this AG's race. Thirty-two votes, really? Yeah, um, <laughs> thirty-two votes. In any case, there's likely going to be a recount. And I say, quote, unquote, because most of the state uses 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting machines. They are impossible to recount, just as I've been warning you for years and years, almost a decade on Bradblog.com and for many years here on uh, on the Bradcast. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in the hour ahead. Uh, big progressive victories uh, across the country yesterday on Election Day. Arguably big Tea Party and Republican losses across the country. We'll talk about some of that with Howie Klein of Down with Tyranny in a little bit. Um, and there was, uh, as I said, problems with voting machines in Virginia. People were seeing their votes flipped. I'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. And uh, problems across New York City, by the way, which sort of got lost because you had this blowout victory for uh, Bill de Blasio uh, for mayor there, uh, obscuring the fact that people were turned away across uh, all five boroughs, as I understand it, when the uh, electronic optical scanners weren't working. So we'll talk all about all of that straight ahead. And Desi Doyen and the Green News Report will be joining us as usual. There were some climate issues on the ballot yesterday. And uh, and also some prominent climate scientists are now calling for nukes. 
Yes, they're going nuclear. We'll be talking about that. But first, uh, I'm joined by the uh, by Eric Bollert, the senior fellow at Media Matters for America. He's the author of Bloggers on the Bus, How the Internet Changes Politics and the Press, and Lapdogs, How the Press Rolled Over for Bush. Previously, he wrote on staff for Salon and Rolling Stone. He's uh, a, a regular uh, guest on the broadcast here. Glad he could uh, be back with us again. Eric Bollert, welcome, sir, to KPFK. Oh, do we have Eric? I think we have Eric. Hang on, Eric. We're going to try to get to you uh, because there's at least four things that I want to talk to Eric about. I think we got him. We're just having trouble getting him into the studio here. At least four things that I want to try to get uh, to get to with, with Eric uh, today. Uh, some concerns about uh, Obamacare and the way the media is or isn't covering that. Uh, this uh, coverage of the LAX shooting and uh, the curious way that Fox News is kind of avoiding this one for some odd reason. Rand Paul's plagiarism. Yes, you heard me right. And uh, most notably, I think, because it's uh, getting the least coverage out there, uh, this rather remarkable story about Benghazi. Yes, the Benghazi hoax, as, uh, as some call it. Uh, and the way CBS seems to have screwed up a report from two weeks ago. I think we have Eric now. Hey, Eric, do we have you? We don't have him. Okay. We're going to that line. Okay. He's going to call us back on another line. All right. Let's try this. Um, let me go right to this Benghazi story, uh, Ray, if you have a moment. Uh, we'll, we'll give you a, a bit of a teaser for what we're going to talk about with Eric. Uh, this was uh, play clip number one, Eric. This, I'm uh, Ray. This is what CBS reported in their blockbuster 60 minute report. Two weeks ago uh, from a guy calling himself Morgan Jones. Turns out his real name is Dylan Davies. But here's what he had to say with uh, with 60 Minutes two weeks ago. Morgan Jones scaled the 12-foot-high wall of the compound that was still overrun with Al-Qaeda fighters. One guy saw me. He, he just shouted. I couldn't believe that he'd seen me because it was so dark. Uh, he started walking towards me. And as he was coming closer? As I got closer, I just hit him with the butt of the rifle in the face. And? Oh, he went down, yeah. He dropped? Yeah, like, like a stone. With his face smashed in? Mm, yeah. And no one saw you do it? No. Or heard it? No, there was too much noise. A stunning story, a blockbuster story. The uh, Fox News and the right uh, have been uh, falling over themselves uh, for this report on uh, on C CBS 60 Minutes, claiming that this guy, Morgan Jones, he calls himself, uh, his real name is Dylan Davies, uh, scaled a 12-foot wall outside the U.S. diplomatic mission in Benghazi as it was under attack. He uh, hit a guy with a rifle. Smashed him in the face and uh, and then ended up seeing uh, Ambassador Christopher Stevens in the hospital dead that night. Indeed, a remarkable story. But it turns out maybe that's not actually what happened. Let's let's see. Do we have Eric now? Oh, Eric. We still have no Eric. OK, we do have him. We're having trouble making the phones work. Uh, they aren't working. Yeah, I see. All right. 
right, we'll get them fixed. And I will continue to tell you what happened here was, as it turns out, this remarkable story, this guy, Morgan Jones, whose real name turns out to be Dylan Davies, didn't actually scale the wall, didn't actually smash someone in a face with a rifle, and didn't actually see Ambassador Chris Stevens in his uh, in, dead in the hospital, at least according to Dylan Davies' own incident report that he filed with his employer the day of the incident, or I should say the day after the incident. Uh, now, was his story then true when he told his employers that he was actually nowhere near the embassy on that night. That's what he says in uh, in the incident report that was discovered by Washington Post, that he was nowhere near the, amb- uh, the, the embassy that night. In fact, he was in his villa near the beach. Well, uh, there's some questions, obviously, about this report, and it brings to mind what happened back in 2004 with Dan Rather's report on 60 Minutes when, in fact, uh, documents were put forward that were claimed by the right to be false documents concerning uh, George W. Bush and his service uh, in, in the Air National Guard many years earlier. Um, of course, the right went crazy over that. CBS immediately began an investigation. They explained it on the, the concerns on the next week's show. Now, never mind that pretty much the content of that memo from the 2004 Dan Rather report turned out to be true. The right was furious that uh, there were potentially fraudulent documents used in Dan Rather's report, and uh, they've actually never proved that they were fraudulent. But in any case, the question was, how did CBS deal with that incident, and how is CBS dealing with this incident now? Let's see if we can find out from Eric Bollert. Oh, Eric, are you there? Hey, Brad. There, we finally got you. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. I, I, I told half of your story while we were trying to get you on. Sorry about that. It was a good summary. I've been listening. Okay, good. Hope I got it right. So, in fact, uh, the incident report from this guy is totally wrong, uh, totally different, I should say, from his uh, from the story that he told on 60 Minutes and in a book that yeah. was released two days later. So how have uh, – go ahead, if you would, Eric, and explain to me the difference, your observations as you're looking at this, the way CBS and 60 Minutes is dealing with this issue <laughs> versus 2004 and the Dan Rather 60 Minutes episode. Yeah, it's a much different timetable. The 60 Minutes, I went back and did a piece on this uh, for Monday, and you know I wrote about that, all that stuff in real time when I was at Salon, and it's sort of a distant... Uh, awful memory, sort of like the Gore <laughs> recount is a distant, awful memory right. that I don't like to revisit. But it was interesting, you know, when that that story just absolutely exploded. It was that aired on a Wednesday, September eighth, two thousand four. Uh, Friday was front page Wall, uh, New York Times, mm-hmm. front page Washington Post. Uh, CBS was putting out a press a release, a statement almost every day for th- uh, for the first five days. Dan Rather's Evening News addressed it uh, that Friday night, even though Evening News didn't even air the original controversial report. It was on 60 Minutes. Um, they uh, Evening News addressed it Friday night, Saturday night, the next Monday night. It was full-on crisis management, and eventually, about 10 days later, uh, CBS uh, threw in the towel slash threw Dan Rather under the bus. Right. Uh, and the, the political... 
uh, pressure, not only from the right-wing media, but from the Bush campaign, the entire Republican uh, establishment was crushing uh, um, uh, CBS at that time. This has been a much different um, uh, timetable, primarily because it's liberals who are upset. It's primarily it's because Democrats who are calling out CBS News. So what does the mainstream media do when they're under attack from the left? Uh, they just ignore it. It's not important. Uh, media matters and uh, you know bloggers or whoever they're of no concern to senior CBS executives. The problem they're having now is the discrepancies are so blatant and so graphic that their 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 plan to circle the wagons and do nothing isn't working. And so in this case, we're seeing a slow motion train wreck. Uh, the New York Times finally addressed it yesterday. CNN, literally as we spoke three minutes ago, had a report uh, about this disputed report, uh, and, and which is now will put more uh, pressure on uh, CNN. Media Matters has talked to uh, veteran journalists Marvin, Marvin Kalb and others saying CBS has got to answer for this. You can't air a report and have such a blatant discrepancy. Uh, I mean, this is sort of journalism 101. So unlike the National Guard, where the wheels fell off within hours, it's interesting to watch this with uh, CBS. The wheels are really sl- uh, falling off in slow motion. And one other quick point I'll make. Yeah. Uh, you know, for a week, it was no comment, no comment, nothing. Uh, and they finally gave a comment to, uh, to the New York Times yesterday, very weak, very noncommittal. And now they're starting to really anger uh, reporters like uh, uh, um, reporters at Politico and reporters mm-hmm. at Huffington Post who feel like they're not getting simple answers. Uh, and, and I don't think they're going to go away. And so the story continues to spread. It's been 10 days, and CBS still cannot answer why they aired this report when the star witness gave a completely contradictory report about what he saw the night of the attack. And now what he has done, he's come forward and he said, no, I didn't lie to uh, to CBS in 60 Minutes. Actually, I lied to my employer I lied uh, to my boss. on the night that it happened, right? And and, and so uh, for whatever reason he may have done that, I guess we can say that makes him a liar. Nonetheless, uh, you've got these two different accounts and right. CBS is standing by their story. How can it be that they don't even address? I mean, Eric, it's possible, is it not, that in fact he did lie to his his employer? He actually did scale the wall. He crushed an al-Qaeda terrorist with a gun. He saw Ambassador Stevens in the bed. All of that could be true, and it could be that he lied to his employer. But how can CBS, who has only said, as far as I can tell, we strongly stand by the story, how can they not even address this question they didn't even bring it up uh, on Sunday's show a week later, despite the fact that Washington Post and right. uh, had reported this and, and Media Matters' uh, David Brock had written a letter demanding a, an investigation into this. They have not even addressed it publicly to say, yes, we're looking into this matter. Have they? Yeah, here's the huge problem. So he's saying, I lied to my boss because he told me don't go near the embassy, the, the, the compound the night of the attack. I didn't want to upset him. And so I lied to him, but the truth is I was sort of the superhero. So fine. 
if CBS had a, a, we don't even know if CBS knew that he told two different stories. I don't think they knew. I think they were completely blindsided by this, despite the fact that they bragged that they worked on this story for a year. Yeah. How can you work on, if I, were, if I worked on a story for a year, A, I'd have a 400-page book at the end of it, not an 18-minute report on mm-hmm. TV. But how, how can you work, you know, uh, they claim they had uh, dozens and dozens of interviews. How can you work on a story for a year when your star witness completely blindsides you? So if they had known about it, and if they had been completely upfront and said, by the way, immediately after, he told a different story to his boss because he was nervous about his job, but now he's, you know, now he's telling the truth, that would be one way to go. You would definitely raise some doubts among the viewers, like, wait, okay, you're basing this entire story on this witness, but he's told different, two, two different stories, but okay, I'm watching it, I believe him, uh, I'm going to trust this guy. But to not even bring it up, because again, I don't even think CBS knew this. Even even if you mind boggling, it is mind boggling. But even if you give them the benefit of the doubt, look, uh, you know, you screw up. People screw up reports all the time. How do you not then at least address it and say, yes, there is this conflict. Uh, We are looking into it. They haven't even addressed it. And then when the New York Times did their report, you mentioned that the New York Times wrote about it. But as far as I can tell, New York Times focused on the other problem with the story, which is that it turns out that this guy had a book that was being published two days later. It was being published by a company that's, uh, what is it, owned by CBS or yeah, affiliated yeah. with CBS. So they have come out and they said, yeah, they told New York Times, yeah, we we screwed up. We should have disclosed that our company uh, is involved with the subsidiary who's publishing it. But even New York Times does not seem to have pressed them for an explanation about the the discrepancies in the no, story. Uh, frank, frankly, the New York Times piece was pretty light. Uh, yeah. It, 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 it clearly gave CBS the benefit of the doubt. But you mentioned the book. Uh, so he, he has a there's, a, there's a profit motive to lie. So what is a more interesting book? I stayed at my compound, uh, I, I, I stayed at my villa 10 miles away from the compound the night of the attack, or I scaled the wall. So again, it goes back to this contradiction. And then, so if we learn that this person has a profit motive to tell a different story, not only that, not only does he have a book, the book's been the rights to the book have been sold to Hollywood. So now you're like, wait a minute, come on, <laughs> don't, don't, don't treat me like an idiot. Don't pretend that there isn't a six or seven figure incentive for this person to tell a different tale. So then, when you add in the fact he told two completely different versions of the events, and oh, by the way, one of them made him very rich, the story falls apart. You can't air it. It makes no sense. So, of course, CBS held back uh, the part about the book. Of course, they held back the part about the movie. And, of course, they held back about the contradictory report. But, again, as I said, I don't even think they knew because the reporting was so bad. This This is a train wreck from top to bottom. Uh, And as I said, this is a slow-motion train wreck for CBS. Ten days later, they do not have an explanation for why they didn't uh, disclose the stunning contradiction. Uh, and 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 they're still sort of giving these boilerplate answers, uh, boilerplate answers. And they told the New York Times, "Oh, this is all politics, you know." 
people don't like the Benghazi story. But as Michael Calderon at the Huffington Post reported today, what's this? Is I, I don't care about politics. I write about media. This story is is is. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing him. He's saying this has to do about accountability. And and he's absolutely right. Well, it it does because and and because we're running late, we had trouble getting you on uh, on on our end. Uh, I'm not even going to go into the politics here because, frankly, I don't even understand the politics. If this story was true, I'm still not sure I understand what the hell it actually uh, what the hell it actually shows us. But what uh, my interest here is in the double standard and you know yeah, the way the particularly the yeah. Bush National Guard. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just an a stunning difference from what we saw back then stunning as uh, on on the part of the right wing stunning on the part of CBS uh, and this is clearly even far more problematic uh, as you point out at, at media matters in your report far more problematic uh, for CBS than the Bush report because the Bush report turned out to be true he had yeah. gone a wall uh, back in 1972 so but let's move on because uh, there's some other double standards I want to get to your thoughts your take on the difference uh, in the coverage on Fox News of this LAX uh, the uh, yeah. Los Angeles Airport shooting that we had out here a few days ago. Uh, Turns out the shooter appears to be an anti-government guy, a New World Order guy. Uh, Reportedly, he had a letter that called him, and I got a, well, we'll say a ticked-off patriot. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, how has the coverage been on Fox News? Have they covered it in the same way as you feel they might have had the guy been uh, brown-looking and had an Arab name? Well, compare, I mean, the, the events were different in terms of the severity and, unfortunately, the body counts, uh, unfortunately meaning people died in both, but uh, Fox News had basically a three-week Islamophobia, Islamophobia fest in the wake <laughs> of the Boston Marathon attack, mm-hmm. um, talking about, I mean, it, it, it was remarkable, and people can go to Media Matters and look at how we chronicled that. So we have a recent example of of basically an act of political violence, random violence, targeting strangers, acts of terror uh that was under that was uh perpetrated by the you know these these uh, muslims in in boston and the fox reaction so here we are in los angeles as you mentioned a, a ticked off patriot hatred of the government hatred of the tsa hatred of janet napolitano uh shows up with a, a semi-automatic rifle hundreds of rounds of ammunition and, and starts killing government employees fox just you know the minute the, that information came out on what was it on Friday? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they just what you know, gun really back up the show. Yeah, we're leaving nothing. Uh, and and Fox has a history of this um, right wing violence, right wing terrorism, patriot movement uh, uh, terror. Uh, Southern Poverty Law Center has a, has a very comprehensive list of these of these ar- these arrests, these killings, these violent acts, plots that were. Uh, uh, thwarted and unfortunately plots that went through, uh, and, and 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 Fox just you know it, it just has no interest. You know it won't talk about him, won't acknowledge him. It doesn't want to talk about the right wing terror threat in America, which statistically has been has proven to be uh, far more deadly. And 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 frankly, in this LAX case, as, as I wrote uh, um, for Media Matters this week, it, it wasn't just Fox News. I mean, the press, unfortunately, 
you know, these these bloody rampages play out. Everyone breaks into the coverage. Uh, you know, it's 24-7 for those hours until the shooter is apprehended or killed, and then everyone just sort of wipes their hands regardless. And, and, and you know, gu- there's no discussion about gun violence, no discussion about gun laws. Uh, and, and again, with LAX, when it's a, quote, ticked-off patriot killing government workers, you know, there's just there's very little coverage and there's very little discussion about the larger issue. And there's also there's also a racist element here, as far as I'm concerned, that is, uh, you know, easiest to see on on Fox News. But it's it's really throughout the media where I guess I could summarize it this way. These shootings happen and people say, uh, was it terrorism right. or, or was it a white guy? I mean, that's kind of what it's what it seems to come down to now. Oh, if he was not involved in, uh, you know, in Islam in some way, then we don't call that's not terrorism. Yeah, right. No, there there is really no such thing as white domestic terrorism is ter- in, 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 right. is, 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 in terms of what the mainstream media. I mean, the L.A. Times, I was looking at one column and they literally posed it. Was this terrorism or just a guy with a gun? <laughs> and, and so, right. you, you know, you fill in the blanks. Yeah. Um, uh, but again, you know, this was someone, a shooter, uh, went to a public place, premeditated, armed with hundreds of rounds with his gun to kill government employees, brought a manifesto because assumed he would be killed, talked about his political allegiance. How is that not <laughs> terrorism? Right. I mean, you know, that's the definition of it. But you're right. Uh, it, it 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 doesn't exist. I mean, it literally, they a group of them could drive up with guns and start you know shooting government employees, et cetera. Um, I, and I still don't think that would be described as, as right wing terror. It wouldn't. In it's it's really remarkable. Had had he had an Islamic uh, Muslim name, uh, it would have been terrorism. But uh, this guy was uh, you know who knows maybe an Alex Jones fan. Not terrorism. All right, a couple. Uh, I got a, just a minute or two left here, so let's see if we can hit a couple of quick issues. Uh, Obamacare, uh, the Affordable Care Act. Um, first, just to separate the politics, if it's possible, from this issue. Your opinion, not on the coverage. Your opinion of the uh, Affordable Care Act rollout uh, by the administration, very quickly. Oh, you know, I, I think it's pro- it's probably been their biggest failure. Uh, not just the rollout, but the explanation. Uh, getting caught up in this keeping your plan and things like yeah yeah no I was just thinking tonight in terms of execution um, you know regardless of the obsessive hatred from the right you know I think the Obama team has has been able to execute what they wanted to execute I can't think of another time where they wanted to do something on their own you know uh, separate from GOP obstruction uh, and it, and it's gone this bad. Okay, so and and I agree with you. Obviously, it's been a disaster, a disastrous rollout. That said, the media coverage of this disastrous rollout. Your observations, Eric Bollert. Uh, it it has been uh, very misleading, and particularly last week was the cancel you know cancellation week. You know, so CBS, you know CNN, NBC, they all went with these very breathless reports about people getting cancellation letters and the the impression was you know a third of america doesn't have insurance now uh... you know there's virtually no explanation about the letters then contain the paragraph that doesn't mean you don't have coverage we're going to transfer you or these reports all taking the insurance letters word for it that oh by the way this is your best plan at seven hundred dollars when all you had to do was go on the exchange, and, and, and time and again we saw this at Think Prospect and the 
think Progress and American Prospect and other reporters punching in the numbers is that, oh, by the way, I can find you a plan for $300. You know, so it, it was just really bad reporting. And, and my fear is that, you know, the D.C. press, as we saw last night with this Chris Christie nonsense, is so obsessed with campaign politics and the process of politics. That's all they cover. They don't really cover public policy anymore. And when they have to, and when there is a, you know, the the issue is health insurance and what the ACA means, they literally have no idea. And so they just pick up these insurance letters, and that's their entire basis for these very misleading reports about what Obamacare means and what the individual market means and why we're trying to get rid of junk uh, junk insurance. You you know it's bad when it was actually Greta Van Susteren herself yes, who who her debunked <laughs> right to on Fox who debunked a story this woman who was complaining her her uh, she was paying $54 a month for insurance her rates were going through yeah. the roof and it turns out she had a junk policy that did nothing for her it it only paid $50 if yeah. she needed any medical care it was it was a junk policy it was Greta Van Susteren who pointed that out and by the way Ellen Brown Brodsky uh, from uh, NewsHounds uh, tweeted recently, funny how Megan Kelly, Megan Kelly on Fox and uh, Kelly File never cared about people getting dropped from health insurance until she could blame Obama for it. Now we're seeing a lot of Republicans who are just really upset that some people maybe, yeah. maybe uh, having to either lose, uh, well, they're not going to lose their insurance, but they may have to pay more. Uh, story after story prior to that uh, for years about people being tossed out when they got cancer, they didn't give a damn about that. Yeah, and, and again, that's exactly what the Republicans wanted to talk about last week. And if you turned on your evening news every night last week, that was the story you got. It was the mainstream media just absolutely echoing Republican misinformation. All these people are losing their insurance. All these insurance rates are going up. Obama lied about, uh, you know, health care. It was really amazing. And, 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 the, uh, and the depressing part was the Republican Party didn't even really have to do anything. Uh, you know, they weren't pressuring NBC and CBS to air these incredibly misleading, shoddy reports. They just did it on their own. That was the perspective they came to. And like the Republican Party for years, you know, network news didn't really care about people losing insurance. They didn't care about people being denied coverage very much. But when Obama was in, you know, is on the target, you know, suddenly everyone, you know, suddenly they're they're very very interested in these basically, you know, false tales. Uh, hysterical tales about people having their insurance canceled. Lot of so it, it, it was just it was just you know the rollout was bad. The White House is to blame for a lot of this. Uh, but when you pile on top of that, just amazingly bad journalism. It, it, it produces a really bad situation. And and in the 30 seconds we have left here before the break, and I'll let you go, Eric Bollert, uh, a lot of media failure we've we've talked about. Uh, but here's a, actually a media success. Rachel Maddow uh, at MSNBC, Andrew Kaczynski yeah. at BuzzFeed, discovered that Rand Paul was plagiarizing in his speeches, in his books, in his congressional testimony. He uh, first denied it, then he called him haters and hacks, then he said, leave me alone, then he joked about uh, uh, challenging them to a duel, then 
then he promised to supply, I love this, footnotes on request for his uh. speeches. Then he got fired from the Washington yeah. Times, who dropped him yesterday, his column. Uh, now he says if he was a journalism professor, he'd flunk the media for their reporting, which, as far as I can tell, has been really good. So are these plagiarism charges uh, going to hurt Rand Paul? Will they affect him in the future? I remember Joe Biden uh, yeah, spent like right. a decade uh, for one plagiarism uh, incident, as I recalled. Will it affect Rand Paul the way it affect uh, Joe Biden or it would affect you or me or Michael Moore or anybody else on the not on the right who, who did something like this? I don't think it affects him because, uh, you know, Republicans have a whole different set of standards. Uh, this had been Obama. This had been Hillary. Even four years ago, let alone Biden, a couple decades ago, they expect them to be honest. They expect them not to rip off people's work, especially, especially words. They, they have no... They have, they really don't hold Republicans to any that type of standard. That being said, I think it's a big deal. I think in terms of yesterday, the the, the Rand Paul plagiarism escapade probably a bigger 2016 story than Chris Christie's reelection last night. I think the press will look at Rand, uh, look at Paul a little differently now. Uh, I mean, it's so egregious. Does at the beginning he. I, I think he honestly doesn't even didn't even understand what plagiarism was. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was his defense, uh, and to have something like this unravel, and, and I think it sort of strikes a chord with journalists that you know cutting and pasting hundreds and if not thousands of words at a time. Uh, I think I, I think in the long run it will affect them a little bit. I think they're kind of. Even though they are kind of uh, horrified by by what they're seeing. And I think I agree with you. I think Rand Paul still doesn't get it. He still doesn't know what he did wrong. Eric Bollert, Senior Fellow at Media Matters for America. Check him out at MediaMatters.org. Always great to talk to you, my friend. Thank you, Eric. All right. Talk to you soon. All righty. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with much more broadcast, including Howie Klein on yesterday's elections, uh, this unbelievable race that continues in Virginia, and Desi Doy, and with the Green News Report, all of that is straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your broadcast. Fall has arrived, and it's time to tune in to the next segment of Treasures of the West that will inspire you to jump into the holiday spirit of cooking. We'll explore the culinary world and its history by visiting a cookbook lover's paradise that's located at the foothills of Pasadena, where you can find thousands of new and used books on the art of cooking that were collected by a passionate cookbook lover whose massive collection includes books and recipes from around the world, some signed and limited editions, and many that document the history of Los Angeles. We'll also speak with a culinary chef whose passion is to teach the inner relationship of art, history, and culture into her cooking classes that are offered at local museums throughout Los Angeles. You'll hear about some upcoming events that you can enjoy this season by tuning in Wednesday evening at 8.30 p.m. And I'll be your host, Pamela Wilson.
little black boxes in cute little rows A screen that says touch me so cheerfully glows No paper trail, a make-believe poll Cast your vote down the memory hole Little black box where your little vote goes Down and down the memory hole Oh where, oh where did your little vote go? Nobody knows. No, nobody knows, particularly in the Commonwealth of Virginia, where 2,206,601 total votes were cast for attorney general yesterday in the election. Uh, According to the uh, Virginia State Board of Election website that I am looking at right now, the Democrat is ahead of the Republican out of 2.2 million votes by 32 votes. Most of the state of Virginia uses 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. So even if there is a recount, there is no way to know that any single vote cast on any of those touchscreen systems across the state was recorded accurately as per voter intent. That's what we're now doing. Uh, oh, yeah, this is Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Welcome back. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. Howie Klein in a second. So not a single, not a single one of those votes can ever be verified. That's the kind of electoral system I warn you about constantly. And to make matters worse, yesterday in that election, uh, Colonel Morris Davis, uh, the chief prosecutor at Gitmo uh, during some of the Bush years, tweeted, quote, took four tries to vote for McAuliffe. He was the uh, Terry McAuliffe, the Democratic uh, gubernatorial nominee. Took four tweets to vote for McAuliffe. I'd touch his name, but it would mark Ken Cuccinelli instead. He wasn't the only one. We had other people at the Brad blog uh, came by and said they had similar problems trying to vote on those touchscreen systems in Virginia. Today, I've got an article at bradblog.com that I urge you to come by. Uh, What I'm looking for now before we head into this potential quote-unquote recount, uh, is more stories like this. If you've seen them in the media, if you had a problem voting on any of these systems in Virginia on Tuesday, I'd like to hear from you. Please stop by bradblog.com. Leave a comment there for me. Uh, As well, if you were one of the uh, 40 or 50,000 people who were purged from the voting rolls in Virginia and tried to vote but couldn't uh, or were forced to vote by provisional ballot, I'd love to hear from you there as well. Stop by bradblog.com for that. You can also tweet me at the bradblog uh, now, then, later, anytime you like. All right, let me get to my next guest here because this is all related to the elections. Yes, usually uh, we avoid the horse race and we look at the track conditions like those in Virginia. But let's look a little bit at this horse race and what we might be able uh, to have learned from what happened yesterday across the country in this off-off year election. I'm joined by Howie Klein, I should say the great Howie Klein from DownWithTyranny.com. He also runs the Blue America Pact. Uh, Pack. I think that's at ActBlue.com. Oh, Howie, welcome back, sir, to the broadcast. Nice to see you, Brad. How you doing? Great. Uh, good to have you here. No one knows more. Frankly, no one knows more about progressive politics, as far as I'm concerned, than you, Howie Klein. And and we should make clear, your Act Blue uh, Blue America Pack. that's not to get more Democrats uh, in office. That's to get more progressives in office. Am I correct? That is exactly right, Brad. We're, there are plenty of really, really bad Democrats. Uh, 
and like, for example, the one who won in Virginia yesterday, and we would never try under any circumstances to help someone like that get elected. We're looking for real progressives at every, every um, place along the spectrum in, the, uh, in, in, in races, in, in any kind of race. Like, I was really, really happy yesterday because, for example, Cecil Bothwell, a uh, city councilman in Asheville, uh, North Carolina, won, uh, won re-election. And he's an incredible guy. Maybe one day he'll be a congressman, a governor, a senator. I don't know. But he's doing good for the people in Asheville, North Carolina right now, and he won. And I was really happy. Terry McAuliffe, so he's all yours. <laughs> no, he's not mine. Don't give him to me. Uh, I've got a, a, a bet with Marcy Wheeler as far as how many days it'll be before Terry McAuliffe has to resign in shame uh, as Virginia <laughs> governor. But we'll see. Um, but overall, looking across the country, I've, I've got a lot of these races here. Um Looks like a lot of progressive uh, victories. Uh, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio uh, in a huge landslide, I think unprecedented since like the 1800s. He, he beat Joe Loda, the Republican there, 73-24. Uh, what... He may wind up being a progressive. We'll, we'll have to see about that. Yeah, well, we will see. Uh, he is running as one. He says he's one. Of course, I guess a lot of Democrats do that the, uh, these days. They, they say they want to be progressives even when they're not. Uh, but... You know what it is? Is you know it's how you define progressive. If, if you think a woman has the right to choice and gays have the right to get married, and that makes you a progressive, then you're progressive. But I, I don't know if that's uh, you know in New York City if that's what makes somebody a progressive or not. I I, got, I actually got an email from. Uh... Glenn Beck this morning on behalf of uh, Freedom Works, this right-wing uh, nut outfit, frankly, uh, calling, uh, the, you know, Mary Landrew down in uh, uh, Louisiana, calling, um, who's it, Mark, uh, what is it, Mark Pryor from Virginia, the, these various Democratic, these uh, for Arkansas, yeah, these various Democratic senators uh, calling them progressive Democrats, and then they even said they promised to get out progressive Republicans. I think what they mean is establishment uh, Republicans, but basically... Yeah. And, and Mitch McConnell. <laughs> yeah, they call, that's what they're calling them. They're progressive Republicans now, Howie. Okay, did, so looking across the country, I mean, uh, really nothing for uh, the Tea Party or the Republicans, as far as I can tell, to be very happy about yesterday, uh, including Chris Christie, by the way, who who they, they don't like it. Republicans don't like Chris Christie either. They call him a moderate. I would argue he's anything but a moderate, frankly. Right. Well, he's, he's kind of a mainstream conservative is what he is. And these people are not mainstream conservatives. They're reactionaries. They're, you might, you know, if you want to be impolite, you could, you could point out that they're fascists and racists. But uh, a mainstream conservative is still a mainstream conservative, and that's what Chris Christie is. That's what his policies and his agenda are all about. And, uh, you know, when people say, well, it's bipartisan, unfortunately, it's kind of true, because there are plenty of Democrats that are on the same page. We call them conservative Democrats. Now, um, by the way, hi, are you on a speakerphone? Because you're echoing a little bit. I don't know if it's a handheld or a speakerphone. It's a handheld. Does it sound better now? Yes, it does. Thank you, sir. I was, I was literally in a... 
big, gigantic, empty room. I see. Get out of that big, gigantic, uh, empty room. Uh, All right. What do you make of uh, Washington State? We saw again what happened uh, down here in uh, in California last year. Initiative 522, labeling of GMOs, the people people who would like to have GMO foods labeled as such. Uh, that, That initiative reportedly failed out here in California last year, and it looks as if it failed again in Washington State yesterday. That was one of the uh, not very progressive, uh, n- not good news for progressives up in Washington State. What do you make of that? Well, I, I, I don't, I don't really know. I, I to, to be real honest with you, I followed the, I followed what was going on down here in California. Mm-hmm. I didn't really follow the the, uh, the intricacies of the Washington race. I have a, a suspicion that a lot of the core Democratic voters, it's not really their issue. So a lot of, a lot of, uh, especially a lot of poor people. They're, they're looking for one thing and one thing only, and that's inexpensive, uh, inexpensive food. And, and, they, and they're being scared by, um, you know, by people who, have, who have, can make some money out of this thing, that uh, if, if they vote for this thing, food's gonna, it'll, it'll, it'll drive up the price of food. It's not necessarily true, but I think people get frightened and they don't know what to do. And they spent uh, Monsanto and the uh, food companies, and I guess I have to put a quote around the word food, spent some $22 million uh, up in Washington State to try to defeat that initiative. Um, but generally, do, do you... Look at the bright side. Yeah. Marijuana smoking in Portland, Maine. Portland, Maine. I know. Well, that's what I say. In most of these cases, it was progressive victory after progressive victory. So, how can we uh, can we make anything of this as we look forward uh, to twenty fourteen? Is this any kind of a a bellwether, or is it a mistake to look at uh, off year elections like this and and read too much into them uh, for the next year's election? Yeah, I think it's t- it's too far out for us to look at it. You know, there, there are a lot of different things that were going on on a lot of different levels. And, I, you know, one of the things, Ken Cuccinelli, the, the Republican who was running for governor who lost, he was trying to say, the whole, all, certainly in the last two weeks of the election, all he kept saying was, this is a, a, a referendum on Obamacare. If you vote for me, it means you don't like Obamacare. If you vote for McAuliffe, it means you like Obamacare. And you'll never hear that again. No one will ever talk about that again. You know, but the, everyone makes what they want out of these things before, during, and after. And the reality is, if there was one single message that really hurt the Tea Party and really hurt the Republicans this time, it was people didn't like the government shutdown. Okay, I mean, all polling has showed that. Has shown that. So let's see what if that people still remember that uh, going into the 2014 elections. That's going to be far away. Presumably, the Republicans won't you know do another stunt like that. Uh, you know, even they learn. So, so I, I don't know what you can make out of it. There, there, I, I, I think it would be a mistake to, to try to extrapolate what happened yesterday into what's going to happen one year from now. Uh, I agree, and uh, I, I would also note on the Ken Cuccinelli point when he said this was a, a referendum on, on Obamacare, well, then I guess everyone's in favor of Obamacare because they voted against Ken Cuccinelli. And furthermore, if you saw Ken Cuccinelli's uh, uh, speech yesterday, 
and and by the way, he hasn't called Terry McAuliffe to congratulate him, but his his he's speech has been a really classy guy. Yeah, classy guy, uh, saying that uh, he lost. Uh, he said this t- uh, shows us what people think about Obamacare. The vote that I got, the reason it was so close, was because of Obamacare. I guess had the Affordable Care Act not been a, a race here, Ken Cuccinelli would have even lost by more than he did. So I'm not sure why he wants to uh, why he wants to brag about that. But I do enjoy it. And by the way, uh, Howie, I don't know if you heard me mention the closeness of this AG's race in Virginia. Yeah, I did. I was listening when you were talking about it. 32 that votes. One, that's, a, that's a funny one, Brad, because, you know, it, it was very disheartening just now for me because I forgot uh, when you were saying that um, there's no real way to, to, for a recount, yep. to do an actual recount. And that just crushed my spirits because I thought that is really what would save the day. And, and that's a, a particularly bad thing because, you know, as you know, Virginia elects a governor every two years. And the, uh, the guy who was just elected yesterday to be the, um, the lieutenant governor is the obvious person who would be running if, if the Democrats don't wind up with an attorney general, then that lieutenant governor will be the nominee. Mm-hmm. He's terrible. I mean, it's, I, mean, I mean, McAuliffe is a creature of his own. He, he's really a bag man for the, Clinton, the Clintons. And he's extremely corrupt. But in terms of policy, he'll just do whatever he's told. The other guy literally was just about to become a Republican. He's, and he's certainly conservative enough to be a Republican. So it would be really tragic to have someone as conservative as that uh, be the next uh, Democrat to be running for uh, governor of Virginia. Well, stay tuned. Listen, Mark Herring, the Democrat, is up by 32 votes in that attorney general's race. Uh, and when they go back to look at all of these, you know, there are some paper ballots that they can count. Fairfax County has uh, the largest number of voters. That's got paper ballots. They may be able to count that. Hopefully, uh, the Democrat there... Area, by the way, that's the Democrat. Exactly, very Democrat. Hopefully, the Democrat there is uh, Herring is smart enough to demand those are hand counted, not machine counted, uh, a second time. So you may have hope. That's the good news. Uh, the bad news is it will be Attorney General Ken Cuccinelli overseeing that recount in Virginia. So uh, not to ruin your day. Howie Klein of DownWithTyranny.com. Always great to talk to you, my friend. And uh, where can people uh, help you out at uh, Blue America Pack? Am I right? Is it ActBlue.com? Yeah, or if they just go to my blog at Down With Tyranny on the upper right-hand thing, there's a big ActBlue button. And if they just press that or Blue America button, they'll get right to uh, to the candidates where they can donate money directly to our candidates. Uh, if you have a second, I just wanted to mention one more race that we, we didn't talk about, and that's the one in Alabama won. It was a, a Republican runoff, and it's, of course it's an all-Republican district, so the runoff means that will be the congressperson. And it was between a, a really insane Tea Party person, a very ignorant person, doesn't know anything about anything, right? Uh, against a mainstream Republican that was backed by Eric Cantor and John Boehner. And, and it, it looked for a minute that the, uh, the Tea Party guy was going to win. As it turns out, the, uh, the mainstream conservative won, but just by, by a smidge. And now, the, of course, the Republicans are all saying, well, that's it for the Tea Party. They're not going to bother us anymore. We can do whatever we want, and we don't, we don't have to worry about them. Yeah. But we'll see if that's what really happened. Yeah, no, that's that's not going to happen. They're going to and and you you said it was a, a Tea Party crazy Tea Party guy versus an establishment Republican. Uh, Glenn Beck tells me that was a patriot versus a progressive Republican. That's how uh, he would say it. Howie Clyde, thanks, brother. I got to run. 
All right, talk to you, Brad. All right, brother, let's do some green news. It's not easy being green. It's not easy being green, Desi Doyen. <laughs> it seems you blend in with so many other. It seems you're always pushed things. to the back of the hour and you never have enough time. There uh, never is enough time. No. But you can always get more at greennews.bradblog.com. Right. So, in the 30 seconds we have here before we got to run the uh, Green News report, uh, some progressive victories yesterday on the climate front, aside from Ken Cuccinelli being defeated. He's the enemy of Michael Mann, the guy who created the. the Climate scientist, yes, yeah, so the scientist. famous hockey, hockey stick, stick graph. graph. Yeah. yeah, so he was defeated, but uh, fracking uh, lost yesterday. Um, well, yeah, sort of. There were three out of four cities who were voting on whether or not to ban fracking within city limits. So three out of four cities said, uh, "Yeah, we want to ban that." There is some issue though whether or not that's actually going to be in keeping with the Colorado state constitution. Uh, Governor Hickenlooper, John Hickenlooper, who's a Democrat and very much in favor of fracking in Colorado, has already sued one city, Longmont, Colorado, that last year voted to ban fracking within city limits because he says our Constitution guarantees mineral rights owners the right to get at their minerals. Also, uh, a, a loss for coal in Whatcom County, but we're going to have to hold that uh, for our Green News report later this week because if we don't start now, we won't get in today's Green News report. Uh, kick it, Ray. Climate scientists go nuclear. Coal spills and kills. Obama announces new climate action, the UN's latest climate warning, plus Germany breaks its own renewable record again. All of that and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Storms and hurricanes and unimaginable murders and mass murders and all of that doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. And today we're saying, oh no, it, it's global warming. And that's what, no. We opened a door that, that lost God's protection over, over our environment. I knew it. God is responsible for global warming. That This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, it is election day as we go to air today, and I know there's a bunch of important environmental-related issues on the ballot today. Oh, yes, big corporate money at work across the country to defeat grassroots initiatives against fracking in Colorado, GMO labeling in Washington, and also an effort to prevent climate change denier Ken Cuccinelli from becoming governor in Virginia. We'll have results on those races, I suspect, later in the week. What do you have for us today? Well, another big environmental move from President Obama. Uh-oh, but is it a good one? Well, yeah. He took another big step to address climate change on Friday, just days after the Superstorm Sandy anniversary. He issued a new executive order that focuses solely on helping the nation adapt to the impacts of climate change. Among other things, the order directs federal agencies to focus on resilience and hardening the nation's infrastructure and will help states and communities prepare and build for future impact with scientific data and funding. It's a big deal and part of his climate action plan announced in his landmark climate speech in June. And, of course, you'll be shocked to know that uh, Fox News is calling it tyranny. <gasps> no. Yes. President Obama using signing an executive order, which would now give the government sort of sweeping power over its, uh, over its climate change policy. No, it doesn't do that at all. It just helps communities prepare and brace for climate change impacts. 
Meanwhile, the United Nations Environment Program's new report warns that time is running out to close the emissions gap. They calculate that countries' current pledges to cut emissions will not be enough and that the window is rapidly closing for big industries to cut their emissions in time to avoid serious climate disruption. In that same vein, four prominent climate scientists have gone nuclear. They've written a letter asking big environmental groups to embrace new, safer nuclear technology as a stopgap measure to help cut emissions quickly. They say, quote, continued opposition to nuclear power threatens humanity's ability to avoid dangerous climate change. And these scientists aren't just a bunch of you know right-wing hacks. This includes James Hansen, who's been one of the biggest activists against the Keystone XL pipeline. He was one of the first, if not the first, to talk about global warming in Congress back in 1988. What are the other environmentalists uh, having to say in response to that, Des? Well, the big environmental groups have been measured in their response, but the renewable energy experts have come flat out and said that these scientists, while they respect them, are just wrong. And they say that renewable energy can provide 100% of the world's energy needs. It's just political barriers that prevent it from doing so. And I know you wrote about this at bradblog.com. You got a statement from anti-nuclear activist Harvey Wasserman, who says that these four climate scientists should go to Fukushima. And they'll get all of their answers there about how good an idea it is to move to more nukes across the globe. Meanwhile, Alberta, Canada, already home to the tar sands mining deposits, is now home to a new coal ash waste spill. A coal ash waste impoundment failed, spilling an estimated 264 million gallons of coal ash waste slurry into tributaries of the Athabasca River. The mining company says that the slurry is not toxic, but Alberta's environment agency is testing the water. And at the same time this week, we had yet another coal mining death in this country, this one in Illinois. Ken Ward Jr. of Coal Tattoo reports that the death makes four coal mining deaths in Illinois this year, the most since 1990. So coal kills and coal spills, whereas solar and wind seem to do none of the above. Go figure. That's right. And Germany does it again. One day last week, Germany broke its own renewable energy record, generating 59% of the nation's electricity solely with renewable energy. And Spain broke its own solar record as well last week, didn't it? Yes. As we reported last week, Spain's concentrating solar thermal plant now has been generating solar energy day and night for 36 days straight. I love the fact that all of these other countries are breaking all of these solar records and we're still stuck listening to lies on Fox News about it. Go figure. For much more on that and the other stories we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Also, remember, you can download us anytime via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. You can find us and like us on the Facebook, and you can follow us 24-7 on the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Yeah.
Yeah. All right. Well done, Desi Doyen. <laughs> Much more tomorrow. Greennews.bradblog.com. Like we need more nukes. Great. We're going in the wrong direction. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer. To our soundboard operator, Ray Pelaez. Hope I said that right. Howie Klein. Uh, my guest, Howie Klein from Down With Tyranny and Eric Bollert of Media Matters. Stay tuned for John Wiener and the 4 o'clock report. Max Blumenthal will be with him on the erosion of democracy and human rights in Israel. You're not going to want to miss that. We'll be back with you same Brad time, same Brad channel next week. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog and, of course, at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, America. <laughs>